Well, you know we're in James, so if you could find James, please, and go to chapter 1. We're going to go to the end of James this morning. You know this uh, series we've been doing is called Dazzling Christianity, and I've been, this, this is number 13, so I'm not superstitious, but maybe <laughs> I trust it's going to be a good, good one for you. I've called this message Arrested Development. Arrested Development. And uh, this is what James says at the end of chapter 1 in verse 22. He says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. At once he forgets what he was like. This is a very um, challenging passage. One of the things I love about uh, expositional preaching when you just go through one portion of the scripture is you're forced to face things that are not comfortable. <laughs> you can't skim them over. You know, sometimes if you're a topical preacher, many people are topical preachers and that's not bad. But if you choose a subject, you can preach about your favorite thing in different ways over and over and over and over again. The advantage of preaching expositionally through the scripture verse for verse is that you're forced to confront things that are not comfortable. And you have to wrestle through your theology and say, actually, well, what do I believe about that? And he has one of these, these verses. Blessed is he who is a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. It's not a comfortable word to preach, but I'm going to do my best. And I've called it (laughs) arrested development. Because that's essentially what James is saying, arrested development. Now, if you go um, and look in the dictionary where these two words come from, you know uh, people get arrested by the police. Well, the the word arrested comes from an old, uh, its roots are in old French and old Latin. And there's two words put together, at, at, from the Latin, which means to add, uh, and restare from the French means to stop. Okay? So it's saying, stop. This is what it means. To rest something is to stop something. If you go to the dictionary, look what development means in the, in the, in the dictionary when I'm, I'm just trying to define this phrase. It simply means a specified state of growth. When you develop something, it's a specified state of growth that you are trying to work towards. And so when you put these two together, it basically means you're stopping growing. You're stopping developing. You're stopping being what you can be. And so James quite plainly is saying, if you are a hearer of the word only, and you are not a doer of the word, you stop growing as a Christian. You stop growing. You are stunted. You are not all that God wants you to be. And I want to say to you that James concisely is describing many Christians who have stopped growing. Those that are hearers of the word and not doers of the word suffer arrested development. Stop growing. And now, last week I took one of those great therefore moments in the scripture, remember? In the considering your great salvation, James says, considering all that Jesus has done for you, considering the amazing impact of the gospel on your life, considering all of that, throw off immorality, put it off, put off um, w- wickedness, he says, and he says, dignify the new man, the new person that you are. Don't, don't give the old man any more credit in your life. The anger, rage, malice, sexual immorality, that belongs to the old person. You're not that person anymore. You are born again. Dignify the new thing that God is doing in your life. Alright? 
focus on the new, because you are new. And now there is a but. I've said, some people have said to me, there are no buts in the, in the gospel. Well, here's a but for you. <laughs> There's a but right here. After that great, great therefore moment in terms of the gospel, he goes on to say, but. There's a but. And what is he saying, but about? He's saying, don't deceive yourself, but don't deceive yourself. If you are just a hearer of the word, and you don't put something into action in your life, you're not a doer, you're not following through, you deceive yourself. That's got a very, very clear implications for you and I. Because I also said a couple of weeks ago, James encourages us, he says, think before you speak. Remember that scripture, that verse we looked at? He said, think before you speak. And if you think before you speak, you'll be slow to anger. You won't just fly off the cuff. You won't just um, uh, respond in an unwise way. Think before you speak. Don't become angry. Put off immorality. Put off these things. Dignify the new man. Walk by the Spirit. All by the power of the Spirit. Not by trying hard, but just by letting God transform you. And now James is saying a radical thing. He's saying it's possible to be living like that and still not be a doer of the Word. That's what he's saying. It's radical. He's saying you can be hearing God. You can be born again. You can be hearing God for yourself. You can be in a place of worship. You can be loving it, loving it, loving it. And he's trying to say to you, don't stop there. That's not God's best for us, just to be consumers. <laughs> he's saying, I've got something more for you, and the more that I want you to do is I want you to live, and not just live for yourself. This is radical Christianity. This is, this is dazzling Christianity. It's a tragedy for me to see much of the church grow in grace. We are saved by grace through faith. We are saved because of the cross. We are saved because of what Jesus has done. That's absolutely secure. We are saved and we can enjoy all of our salvation, every single bit of it, and still be those that are suffering arrested development. Be those that have stopped growing. God wants us to continue to grow in grace and add grace to our lives and to continue to grow in grace. And this is exactly what James is saying. He's saying, I want you to understand that it's possible for you always to be growing as a Christian. You don't ever have to be stunted in your growth. And I think there are some that never move beyond the deficient understanding of what the Christian life is. For some Christians, they're happy to flirt with the world. To be saved and still flirt with the world. They're happy to flirt with temptation. They're happy to blame their temptation on God and say, oh, well, it's all God's fault. He put me in this position. And we've looked at these things before. No temptation comes from God. All right? They, they blame it on their temperament. They say, oh, well, that's just the way I am. It's just the way I am. I can't help myself. And they go, people go around uh, and think, well, this is just the normal way that Christians live. Same old problems, the cycle of guilt and then repentance and then introversion and then some more guilt and some more repentance and some more introversion. And it's like, well, that's the way the Christian life is. I want to say to you, that is arrested development. That is not growing as a Christian. That is not God's best for us as, as Christians. If we live like that, we haven't learned the joy of saying no. <laughs> the joy of saying no. No to anger. No to speaking too quickly. No to sexual temptation. There's a joy that comes when you learn to say no and you stand as a Christian upon the Word. We've got to get past beyond living with the same old temptations, the same old things in our lives. 
And James is giving us the key. He's saying, blessed are you. Jesus said, blessed are you if you do the word, not just hear the word. James is saying the same thing. He's agreeing with Jesus. He's saying, don't, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. And his words are very important. James, uh, the more I'm reading this book, he's so clear and succinct, and every word has been chosen. He doesn't just say things randomly. And here the order of his words is also important. He says, you can't be a doer until you become a hearer. So you have to hear God's voice first before you can do anything. And he says, you can't truly become a hearer until you've been someone who's learned to control your anger and learned to hear his voice and learned to put your heart at rest so you don't just respond and fly off the handle. You can't truly be a hearer of God unless you're in that place. And I want to say to you that I think we haven't even begun to grasp or imagine how wonderful the thing is that God has for us as believers. He, he wants to give us incredible dignity in our lives. We are new creations. We are completely new. I said to you a couple of weeks ago that I, the old Anthony is gone and the new one has come. It's the same for you. And this is a great, great adventure that we have for Jesus. As soon as we, with Jesus, as soon as we are born again, our life is an adventure with Him. Walking by the Spirit, being transformed from the inside out. And this truly is authentic Christianity. This is New Testament, New Testament Christianity. And essentially what James is saying, he's a calling, James is calling obedience doing. Blessed are you if you obey my word, Jesus says. Okay? I want to say to you, I want to make a distinction here. I believe the gospel. I believe there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It is a free gift to you from Jesus. He reaches into your life. He transforms. If you've been part of this church for a while, you've heard me say this over and over and over again. I believe in the gospel. So I'm not saying that you have to do anything to earn your salvation. There's a difference between the joyless taskmaster of legalism. There's a difference between that and joyful obedience to Jesus. Just, God, thank you for my life. Thank you that you've touched me. Thank you that you've changed me. I willingly give myself to you. You have, all all I have is yours. There's a big difference between that and legalism. (laughs) Can I just say, can we become a church that is joyfully, happily obedient in every area of our lives? Where Jesus just says, I want you to do this. And we, we don't argue. We just say, yes, Lord. Okay, I'll do that for you. I'm happy to do that for you. You've given everything for me. It's so so easy for me just to do this for you. It's not because I want to earn my salvation. It's out of response, just saying thank you. So what does the doer of the word look like? What does an obedient person look like? Well, quite simply, a doer of the word is someone that embodies the word. For me, that's the highest expression of Christianity, is to embody the Word. Jesus was the Word, the fullness of God, made flesh. He came and He dwelt among us as a man. And the greatness, the genius of Jesus, the genius, if you like, of Paul, was not their theology. Paul is so brilliant. He puts it in Philippians 1.20. He says this, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now and always, that Christ will be honored in my body. Whether by life or by death, 
For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul is saying, the highest thing I can do is to live with Jesus, for Jesus, honoring Him with this physical body that I have. In everything, whether it's eating, sleeping, whatever I do, I honor Him with this body. That is my greatest, my highest goal. Man, that's brilliant. (laughs) Christianity is rooted in life. It's not some kind of ethereal thing that we kind of... No, no, it's rooted in life. It's rooted in the earth. It's rooted here where we are. We want the kingdom to come now, but it's, it's very practical, isn't it? And I want to say to you this morning that the crown of redemption, the crown of redemption is the life of Christ in you and in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is the life's journey that we enjoy as soon as we get saved. And the Greek word James uses here for doers, be doers, be doers, it really describes a process. And why do I say that? Because of what he says. The Greek word is geneste, geneste, which means become doers. Yes, you are saved. Now become obedient. Become a doer. Whatever God tells you to do, joyfully do it. Become doers. I want to say to you, there's three words that I think of. Astonishing, remarkable, terrifying. (laughs) Become like Jesus. You understand that's what James is saying? Become like Jesus. Become like the Son of God. Doesn't that terrify you? It absolutely does, but that's what God is calling us to be. Become like Jesus. And it seems to me the way James James says it, is that there's something we've got to do. (laughs) It's not just going to all be done by God. God has done the big thing, remember? I said last week, God has done the big thing. What's the big thing? Something that we could never do. We could never save ourselves. He's done the big thing. He's initiated salvation. He's reached into our lives. He's transformed us. And now he says, I want you to do the little thing. What's the little thing? Put off the old. Dignify the new. Show that you have new life. Show that you are regenerate by dignifying the new. And so I want to say to you, there's a, a sense that which we only begin to live the Christian life when we're at the point where we become hearers. We only truly start to live the Christian life when we become hearers. In the same way, there's a sense that we only begun to live the Christian life when we become doers. These things... Repentance and faith are interwoven. They are one and the same, happened at the same moment when we are saved. And so we have this wonderful opportunity, you and I as Christians, to actually empower, empowered by the Spirit of God, to actually show this new creative process that God is doing under his, in our lives, under his, his, his redemptive hand. That He is transforming us. That there is evidence that I'm less angry than I was five years ago. That I'm more happy than I was five years ago. Yes! that I'm more fulfilled than I was five years ago. Is this not true? This is becoming more and more like Jesus. Becoming more like, if I'm more grumpy than I was five years ago, if I'm more angry than I was five years ago, two and two does not make four then, does it? Then what is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life and maybe in your life, if that's something of your life? And I love the logic of this book of James. We started right at the beginning, and what does James say? He says, count it all joy when you fall into trials, when you fall into peripipto. Remember the word? You're not looking for it, you fall into trials. And I want to say, we become doers of the word, we become obedient to the word, 
when we respond in a godly way to difficult circumstances and situations. I believe that's what it means. And that's what I understand suffering is. Some charismatics, when you say suffering, they don't like suffering. It's like some suffering is a bad word. No, suffering is not a bad word. In this life, Jesus said, you would have many, many trials and many troubles. But we're going to see this morning that Jesus was perfected in that so that he could bring many sons, many of us, to glory with him. That's the reason. Hebrews 4 verse 5. We're told that Jesus was tempted at all points and yet he was without sin and he was called a man of suffering. Hebrews 5 verse 8. These are extraordinary verses in the scripture. Hebrews 5 verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Speaking of Jesus. Although Jesus was the son of God, he was fully God, he learned obedience through going through hard times. Ah, this is incredible. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. Hebrews 2.10, For it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should be the, foundation of this, the founder of their salvation, perfected through suffering. That should encourage you. That should give some energy to you. Because what it's saying essentially is this, is that Jesus, although he was perfect, he didn't need to go through all this stuff because he was perfect anyway. But so that you and I, that he could share in all of our lives and he truly could be the one who shared in every way what we experience in our lives. And he did not sin to bring us to glory, to bring us to Christ, to himself. He suffered all these things and was obedient in all these things and was perfected in all of these things so you and I could have one who knows our struggles in every way. <sighs> that is wonderful! So I'm excited, eh? Sometimes I'm aware I'm loud because there's people in the front who are going like... <laughs> so what I'm trying to say to you is that Becoming what Jesus wants us to be, in other words, becoming like Him, and suffering are combined in a one process so that we can become doers of the Word. That we can, living in a living way, embody all of what the Word of God is. And Jesus is our example. He lived that out perfectly. So when I'm talking about suffering, uh, um, this includes emotional things, it includes um, uh, economic things, it includes being frustrated in not achieving all the goals that you feel for your life. It can be any one of these things. You know, I'm in my mid, uh, mid-40s. No, I'm not in my mid-40s. I'm nearly 50. I'm 47. Jeez, Colin, I'm catching you up there. I've noticed a lot of my mates are going through midlife crisis. This is a real thing for people in their 40s. Real thing. Many, many friends of mine who are in their 40s, all the men seem to be slightly depressed. They all seem to be questioning who they are and what they've been called to and what are they doing on the face of the planet and why is things so hard? Guys, this is a real thing. This is a real thing. And so something of maybe in your 40s, you're, you're going to be questioning some things of your life. And it's not a bad thing because God wants us to be increasingly fruitful. He wants us to know why we're here. And I guess when you're in your 40s, it's like you, you hope that you'd achieve some things by then and maybe some of the things you'd hope to achieve you haven't achieved, and that makes you depressed, and you feel like, am I a good provider for my family? 
I'm all this stuff. I mean, I've been through this for about seven years now. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say to you is this. Underlying this thing of what suffering is, I believe there's a very simple uh, fact. And that is this, that we are not our own. We are not our own. We are His. We've been bought with a great price. We are Jesus. We are not our own anymore. As soon as you get saved, you are not your own anymore. You belong to someone else. You belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and your life and your destiny and your future belongs to Him. Now, why I say that means there's suffering along the way? Because Jesus said this in John 6.38. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. As soon as you come into the kingdom, you cease living for yourself, and you start living for someone else. You start living for Jesus. And as soon as you stop living for yourself, as soon as you can't satisfy your selfish needs anymore, as soon as you start living for someone else, that is going to involve some suffering for you. Do you understand my logic? He turns to his disciples later in John 20, 21, and Jesus says this to them, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. What is he sending us to do? He's not sending us to live for ourselves anymore. He's sending us to live for other people. This is what Galatians says. This is the freedom that we have in Christ. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brothers. Every one of you called into freedom, called by grace. And what he's going to say, Paul, to the Galatians, he says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity to live for the flesh, to live for yourself, to live selfishly. Don't use your freedom anymore for that, but use your freedom for what? To serve one another. Give yourself away, is what Paul is saying. Give yourself away to others. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. It tips everything on its head. The world says, live for yourself. Accumulate as much wealth as you can. Get the best job that you can. Eat as well as you can. Jesus says, I've come that you should not live like that anymore. Because that's essentially serving yourself. Get, 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 get. More, 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 more. Jesus says, no. I've come that you might live for others. That you give some of what you have away to other people. This is the joy of living. It's not living selfishly anymore. It's living for others. And I want to suggest to you, I don't want to suggest to you, I want to say to you, the great heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Go and read it this week. Why they were great was in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of being persecuted, in the midst of being slandered, in the midst of being pulled apart by horses <laughs> and cut in two with swords. That's what it says of those great heroes of the faith. In the midst of all of that, they learned the joy of obedience. <laughs> they could have said, those guys that were thrown into the Colosseum with the animals, they could have said, they could have said no, we, 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 Jesus is just a, a bad idea. Sorry, we made a mistake. We don't know who Jesus is. They could have alleviated their suffering right there by just saying, no, I don't know who Jesus is. I'm not a Christian. And they chose to go through. They chose to say, yes, Jesus has already said, he is, he is the Messiah, he is king, he owns me, and if you kill me, so be it. I mean, and yet we think somehow suffering is a bad word. <laughs> 
So I want to say there's three kinds of Christians. And James is saying there's three kinds of Christians. First, there are those that are saved, but they continue to flirt with the world, with temptation. They don't know the joy of resisting the world, the flesh, or the devil. Second, there are those who've succeeded in putting the flesh to death. They've received Jesus. They've received the engrafted word. Remember it said last, last week, it said we joyfully receive, continue to receive the engrafted word that is already in us. But they've stopped there. They've remained hearers only. And I believe James is saying there's a third kind of Christian. All those Christians, they are, they're saved. Fleshly Christians are saved. Those that are hearers are saved. All, we're all going to heaven. But he's saying there's a third kind of Christian that I want you to become. I want you to become a doer of the word. That's what he's saying. Can you imagine if this church, every single one of us, became obedient doers of the word? I want to tell you, revival would come. I'm convinced of it. If Jesus can change the world with 12 disciples and 120 in the upper room, Jesus can do immeasurably with us as well. And there will be great saints of the walking around like the saints of old. There will be great saints walking around St. Albans and Hemel Hempstead and Watford. And, and I want to say to you, James is encouraging us all, don't belong to the second group, just remaining hearers. And he says something radical. He says, if you do that... If you remain in the second group, you are deceiving yourself. The Greek here, that's a very long Greek word. It's got to do with para and logic, and it's got emenoi on the end, all right? And what that means is, to, it means to miscalculate. It means to make a mistake. It means to, in some uh, senses, to cheat yourself. And I want to say to you, for God must be the greatest tragedy. If we think as Christians the greatest honor that we have, the greatest calling that we have, the highest thing that we will ever know is just to be a hearer of the word. Just to be hearers of the word. What a tragedy if you and I remain just hearers of the word, never moving on, fooling ourselves, thinking that, that all that God has for us, all that God has for us is to come together every Sunday, hear the word, soak it up, pray for each other, go away. And come back the next week. More word, more worship, more prayer for each other, suck it up, more experience of God. It's all great, it's all great, it's wonderful, and it just remains there. That's what James is saying. He's saying if you live like that, you're deceiving yourself. That's not the fullness of what God has for us as Christians. And he uses the same word in Colossians 2.4. He says, Paul writes and says, I do not want you to be deceived by false teaching. He says, I say this in order that no one might delude you with plausible arguments. It's the same word, logizimai. Logizimai. It has two two. Um, applications to intentionally misreckon, to cheat yourself, and the other is to misinfer, to draw wrong conclusions. So James is saying, if you remain like that, you come to a wrong conclusion about your life. You come into a false conclusion that, you, that that's all your Christian life is going to be. So let's assume that in this church, all of us have become 
hearers of the word, all right? We've, we've, started, we've all been born again. We, we're hearing the word of God. We're receiving with meekness the, the, the word of God into our hearts. We all know of a, uh, we've got some of a, something of a relationship with God. We enjoy worship. We enjoy his presence. We enjoy praying, praying for other people. Uh, we've got the sense of God is speaking to us and it gives joy to us in our hearts. And you know what James is saying? He's saying at that point you face another temptation as a believer. You face another temptation which can draw you to a wrong conclusion. And the temptation that you face is that to say that's all that is necessary as a Christian. Just feel the presence of God for yourself and enjoy His presence and hear the Word of God and be built up, attend church. God speaks to you. That's as good as it gets. And James is saying that's a false conclusion. He's saying that's not what it is. And so he's saying... You, you uh, come to a wrong conclusion. He's saying you're deceiving yourself. The tragedy is, is that, is this, is if, if that's how we live, we lose out as individuals, but everybody else loses out as well. The world loses out, the unsaved lose out, everybody loses if we live like that. Because what we're really saying then is we're saying that the Christian life, the Christian faith, is really just being a moral example to the world. It's just uh, showing that God is changing you, uh, and that's as good as it gets. But I've said this before, I want to say it again. Jesus said, I did not come to be ministered to, I came to minister to others, to serve others. And when we are those that are still consumers, 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 we are just hearers, 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 hearers. We are not yet doers. It's all essentially about us. And I want to say to you, it shrinks you as a person. We become smaller and smaller and smaller. We become more introspective. And at the end of the day, that's not good for us. And it's not good for other people as well. And we become introverted, Christians that are just consumed with our little culture bubble of church and we never even think about looking outside the culture bubble. I want to say, if there's anything the Bible does teach, it teaches obedience. 1 Samuel 2.30 To them that honor me, I will honor. And surely, this is the lesson that Isaiah, remember I told you uh, Isaiah prophesying to Judah uh, speaking a picture of the church, remember? And surely this is what Isaiah was trying to get the people of Judah to realize. Isaiah 58 verse 6, Is this not the kind of fast that I choose, says God, to loose the bonds of weakness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? He continues in verse 7, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh. It's incredibly challenging. This is what Isaiah is trying to say to them. There's a consequence that flows from that if we think about it. If we remain hearers and we are no, we're not doers, if we remain disobedient, God can choose not to hear us. Have you ever experienced those moments in your life where you feel like God's not hearing you, but you're not doing anything different? You're just kind of doing what you've always done, and you feel like there's brass, the heavens are brass, and God is not hearing you. And Isaiah, in fact, says that in verse 3 of Isaiah 58. He says, he says, Why have we fasted and you don't see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no notice of it? I mean, this is Isaiah asks these questions of God. 
Well, I want to suggest to you it's not that necessarily that we're completely backslidden, but perhaps we are in this process of arrested development. We've kind of stunted. We've stopped. We're not acting on what God has told us. We're, no longer, we're not being obedient to what God has done us. And so we, 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 kind of, we don't hear him anymore because he stopped speaking. <laughs> so we remain consumers. We remain those that are content to be ministered to instead of ministering to others. Receivers and not givers. And um, James has got a humorous little picture that he uses. And he says people who Christians who like that are deceived and they're basically like people that enjoy looking at themselves in the mirror. <laughs> they become primpers. Introspective primpers. <laughs> you know, introspection is, uh, is foolish absolutely foolish. It's ultimately, it shows spiritual pride. Ultimately, it leads to spiritual paralysis. And when we just soak in the word like a sponge and we keep it all to ourselves, I want to say to you, that's being like a miser. There's this, uh, you can tell from my accent if you're English that I'm not English. I'm from South Africa. There's this wonderful South African word. If I say to you someone is schnup, you know exactly what it means, don't you? Well, it's like a Jewish, Yiddish, South African word. Yes, schnup. Someone who's schnup is someone who can, has got the potential to be extraordinarily generous, but they choose to withhold. They're schnup. <laughs> They're absolutely schnup. And I want to say to you, if we remain consumers of the word, and we've got all this stuff inside of us that God has shown us, and we don't give it away, we are schnup. We are misers. And I, I, I think James is trying to say this. He says sometimes churches can be places where people come and they're content to gaze at themselves in the mirror all the time. How handsome you are. How spiritually discerning you are. What spiritual understanding you have. We become our own admiration societies. And it doesn't enter our mind that God wants us to look beyond the walls and to impact people outside of the church. And so James, he realizes that, and he, and he says again, I mean, he says it at the beginning of the section we're looking at, and then he says it again. He says, if any man is a hearer and not a doer. In other words, he's saying it again. Just in case you missed it the first time, I want to say it again. If any man, I, I don't want you to become like that, but if any man is a hearer and a doer, he just deceives him, himself. And I want to say to you, I think this is what gives Christianity a bad name. Because most Christians mostly have given the world the impression that Christianity is nothing but morality. Just trying to be good. Just show you that you are different from the world by how you live. Uh, I want to say to you that comes from too many of us spending too much time looking in the mirror. <laughs> looking in the mirror. We keep on looking at ourselves in the mirror week after week, week after week, week after week, saying, God change me, God change me, God change me, God change me. And I believe we miscalculate God's will for our lives. If we continue to gaze at ourselves in the mirror of His Word. I, want to, I thought of a different way I could put it to you that would help to understand. Ladies, honestly now, how many of you like what you see the longer you look at yourself in the mirror? How many of you get more... You say, oh, do you understand what I'm saying? 
the longer you look at yourself in the mirror, what happens? You start to notice the wrinkles and the gray hair, and you wish you wouldn't, and you wish, oh, my eyes are a little bit skewed, and I wish it wasn't like that. And uh, it doesn't lead to anything good the longer you look in the mirror. It doesn't lead to anything good, does it? It just leads to introversion, and it leads, it leads to feeling not good about yourself. It's the same spiritually. <laughs> the longer we gaze at the mirror, the longer we gaze at ourselves in the mirror, the worse it gets. It's useless. It's pietistic. It's introspection. And I want to say it's the position of many Christians. And James is trying to encourage us, stop carrying on examining yourself. You know, I was just thinking, it's like we take our spiritual pulse every day just to see if we're healthy, get the thermometer out, check our temperature once, and then we tap it down, check it again just to make sure it was right the first time. (laughs) All of us go in the middle of God's Word and we put the little thing in our mouth. Uh, just to make sure we're healthy and we check our pulse, everything is normal, just that we pinch ourselves to make sure we're still alive and we carry on with this process over and 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 over again. And James is just saying, you're not going to change by looking at yourself in the mirror. It's not going to change you. This is what's going to change you. What you've received, you're obedient to it and you walk it out. That's what's going to change you. That's what's going to change people that are inward-focused to being outward-focused people. It's just by simply and say, okay, God, your word says that I should reach out to the, my, my neighbor. So you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to go and say hello. So you go and say hello. That's what changes you, not knowing that you should do it, but doing it. This is what your word says, Lord, is that I've got so much. So I'm going to give something away. Okay, Lord, I'm going to give something away. The poor, we've got a little box for the poor. I'm going to come, I'm going to take something of the wealth that you've given me. I've got three meals I can have a day. Perhaps this, this, today I'm going to miss one meal. I'm going to give what I can give to the poor. That's what changes you. Otherwise, we just, we just remain primpers, prayers. I was just thinking of another image, and I don't want to insult anyone here. But it's like many churches are just like hairdressing salons. We come in for a makeover. We come and sit in rows and we say, God, change my hair today, please. Thank you. I want to blow dry and I want to be blonde. I don't want to be brunette anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Change me, change me, change me, change me, change me. And we walk out with a new hairstyle. And that's how many people come to church. That's what they come for. They come for a change of hairstyle. They come for just to be changed a little bit on the outside. They, ch- they come to feel good about themselves. Have a little bit of Botox. Get your teeth whitened. Feel good about yourself. It's true. Well, James is asking a direct and very uncomfortable question to you and to me. He's saying, are you like that? <laughs> because if you are a hearer of the word and not a doer, you are like that, and I am like that. And so he's saying, don't stay there, move on. Become a doer. I want to ask that we become a church that is no longer a hairdressing salon, (laughs) but a church that is on a mission. Yes? On a mission to see the world transformed. 
to see this community transformed. You know what Isaiah says? He says we don't really change the, and, or touch the world one bit uh, while we remain in a place like this. Uh, Isaiah 58.10 If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, you shall, your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the, new day, the, the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy the desire of your heart in a scorched place and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water that does not fail. That's God's promise to you as you give yourself away. He says, you, I will make you like that. You'll be strong. You'll be like a well-watered garden. You will have joy in your life if you give yourself away. I want to suggest to you that perhaps you're not a joy, you don't have joy in your life because you're just living for yourself. <laughs> How small is that? My life, my family, just us. The rest of the world can go to hell, actually. <laughs> I'm just happy. With my little self, my house and my car and my this and my that and my that and my that and my that. I'm aware this is not an easy word. But you know what the scripture says as you start living for someone else? Everybody wins. You become a bigger person and other people receive what you're giving them. And I'm not just talking about material things. And, and the promise of God in Isaiah is, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in a scorched land and make your bones strong. It's so opposite. We think if we just take care of ourselves and protect ourselves, God is going to make us strong. God is saying exactly the opposite. He's saying, as you give yourself away to others, I will make you strong. I promise I'll satisfy you in a scorched place where there's, there's nothing else. I'll, I'll make your bones strong. I'll, you'll be like a watered garden in the midst of a desert as you give yourself away. My problem is that I, I want people to like me. And every time I preach like this, you know what happens? On Monday morning, I have nightmares. I get a, ask Helen, I don't sleep on Sunday nights. I shouldn't have said that. Oh, God, I offended that person. I saw how that person looked at me, and God, they don't like me anymore. And, oh. That's my, that's my introspection. Well, Tim Keller says this. He says, the lack of joy in your life is due to your lack of mission. <laughs> He's saying exactly the same thing. saying the lack of joy is because you're living for yourself. Start living with someone else. Greg Downs, what did he say last week? True conversion means we're converted to Christ, converted to community, the church. We love each other. It doesn't just stay there. We're then converted to cause, the cause of the cross. We are converted to living for others. So, I want to ask you, what is your mission? What part of God's cause are you, are you converted to? Our mission statement as a church, Forest Town Church is rooted in Christ, planted in family, and fruitful in life. What area of your life are you saying, God, help me to bear fruit? Help me to give myself away. Amen? Blessed are you if you are not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word as well. My prayer is that we become a church that is a doing church, not out of trying to please God because we think we won't go to heaven if we don't do anything, but out of obedience, out of joyful, joyful obedience, letting Him transform us, making us more and more like Jesus. Amen.